have your Bible, I want to invite you to join me in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. And if you've been with us, we've been journeying through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we just began fairly recently, just a couple of weeks ago, we even take a, took a look at a bird's eye view of kind of zooming out to take a look at the whole of the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount from chapters 5 through 7, so that you do get an idea of, of what Jesus is communicating as a whole. But in the weeks that are following now, we're zooming in in specific passages to get an idea of uh, just kind of drilling in to seeing what he's having to say specifically. And last week, we had the opportunity to look at that, uh, for many of you, I imagine, familiar passage that you've maybe even maybe heard reference to or seen plastered on a coffee mug of that we are the salt of the earth and that we are the light of the world. And we, we, we took that deep dive into that, and, and as we kind of journey now into uh, this end, really, of his introduction to his sermon, he does what I hope uh, a good preacher does, is by the end of the introduction, he's giving you kind of his, his thesis statement, his main idea. He's launching into what will be the body of the rest of his sermon. And so today, we're getting a chance to specifically uh, have the opportunity to take a look at that. And I love that the song that we just sang, uh, there's a specific line that he came to fulfill the, the word. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And that's exactly what we're going to be seeing here this morning. And so if you would follow along with me, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. And Jesus says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Father, as we come this morning to look and listen to your word today, I pray that we would be uh, students and that we would be just willing to submit ourselves to the authority of your word and that we would take it in um, and that we wouldn't shy away from it. Even, even at times, Father, when uh, perhaps it makes us uncomfortable or it steps on our toes, Lord, that we would see the word for what it is and that we would see Christ, and that we would see hope. And so, would you pray where you're at right now in person, or if you're online, would you just pray that God would help you to choose to submit to His Word today? And if you would, would you pray for me, that I would be a help to you, and that I would say what He would have me to say? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if any of you have ever broken anything, uh, but I can remember growing up, I had two older brothers. I was the youngest, the baby. It was great to be the baby. I enjoyed that. But I was able to play with all of their toys. They didn't always like me playing with their toys, but I would go, and this was the day and age when I grew up that He-Man and Transformers were probably the two most popular toys that you could purchase at that time. And specifically, He-Man was kind of okay. I could play with those action figures. My brothers weren't too concerned about that, though you can break those. Um, but Transformers, they were a delicate thing because you're basically, if you don't know what a Transformer toy is, is it's this toy of where it looks like a car, but if you move around the parts, it now turns into what looks like a robot, and then you can turn it back into a car. And I was very much, as a, as a young child, I would want to turn the truck 
into the robot and something might snap and uh, I would put it back into the toy bin and then I would go about my business and hope that that wasn't found and uh, my brothers would come along and go, toy's broken, obviously Stephen, mom, dad, he broke my toy again. And so I, I had a tendency to, to break those things. But one thing that I've never broken in my life is a bone. Have any of you broken a bone before in your life? Bless you, bless you. I, I will say when I was younger, there was this weird idea of me, maybe I wanted the attention of like, if I broke my bone, I could have a cast and they would pay attention to me and sign my cast. As I got older, I was like, that's just a bad idea. Um, but if, but I, I know of people who have broken bones, um, and it, it, it's obviously incredibly difficult, incredibly painful. And uh, I have a friend of mine specifically who shared with me at one point when he had broken his bone that in order for him to be able to have anything else done where the injury took place on a field is they actually had a, a doctor come out and set that bone. And it was a, just incredibly painful. But the doctor recognized that if we don't, if we don't set this bone back into place that's been broken, you're actually going to be worse for wear. It may be uncomfortable, but we got to get it back to what it's intended uh, to be. We got to set it right. And when Jesus comes along the scene here, Jesus is saying the, the Word of God, specifically the Old Testament Scripture, the law and the prophets, have been kind of manipulated. They've been taken out of context. You've taken the weight away from the law of the Word. You've added things to it that aren't even necessary with your traditions and with your ideas. And he's coming along and saying, I, I want to get back to, and you may hear me say this several times today in the weeks to come, I'm wanting to get back to the heart of the matter. I'm wanting to get back to the heart of the law, the heart of the prophets, and just the Word of God. And by doing that, the first thing that we're going to see here this morning is that Jesus is going to essentially let them know that He is the way. Jesus is the way. A, a couple of weeks ago when we looked at the introduction sermon and we looked at the bird's eye view and we briefly looked at this section, I shared with you that Jesus is the way, and this makes sense to us now, but it would, have made sense, would not have made sense to them at this time as they're sitting on the mountainside. Jesus is the way because Christ is Christianity. Now, again, that makes sense to us because we're 2,000 years removed. We know that at the heart of Christianity, hopefully, is Jesus. But at this point, Jesus is saying, I I'm trying to reveal to you the, the truth of the matter, the heart of the matter. Later on in the Gospel of John, Jesus is talking with His disciples in the upper room. You probably remember this verse. But in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way because Christ is Christianity. In this moment, again, as we sang in that song, it was perfect lyrics for what we're looking at today. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah at this moment. He's the one that was spoken of and promised by God through the prophets. So when he says, I didn't come to abolish the law of the prophets, but to fulfill them, we, we, you can go through a journey. I, I would encourage you to do this in your own time. We, we looked at it briefly even just a couple of weeks ago, but if you look at chapter 1, 2, and 3 of the Gospel of Matthew, just make, make notes of how many different times the Gospel writer Matthew is saying, for Scripture to be fulfilled, for Scripture to come to pass, uh, for, the prophet, uh, for the words of the prophet to come to pass. You see it all over chapter 1, 2, and 3. And he, Matthew is even kind of teeing up what Jesus is about to say in the Sermon on the Mount, that all of the prophecy that we've heard of and that we've been waiting for, the hope of the Messiah, the chosen one, that's me. 
I've come to fulfill that. I'm the Messiah. I'm the chosen one. In fact, he doesn't just say that I've come to fulfill the prophets, but I've also come to fulfill the law. And it's at this time that I would imagine that there might have been some who are uh, in the crowd, sitting there on the mountainside, listening to Jesus' sermon, and there might have been a little bit of wondering, is this guy trying to teach something new? Is he trying to do away with what we know to be true, and he's trying to establish something new? Is he trying to abolish the Old Testament Scriptures? There would have been this tension probably within the crowd, within this Jewish crowd, is that Jesus is Jesus promoting a new faith or a new religion? And think about the Beatitudes that we studied over the course of the summer. When Jesus says, blessed are, and they're like, what's blessed? The poor in spirit. What? Blessed are those who mourn. This doesn't sound right. Blessed are the the meek. Jesus, this isn't making sense. It's, it's, It's not computing with what I've heard and with what I've grown up with. And Jesus, what he's saying is, you might be thinking at this moment, as I'm speaking to you, that I'm wanting to promote some new religion or new faith, and that's not the case. I didn't come to do away with the Old Testament. I came to fulfill the Old Testament. I came to make it be what it was intended to be, what the faith was always intended to be. To bring it to full completion is what I'm doing. I'm getting back to the heart of the matter. But what had happened is over the course of really centuries or decades and centuries, uh, the, the Jewish religious leaders had added to the law. They had kind of reinterpreted the law. Uh, they made you have to do extra things because their mindset was, if, if this is the line of sin and I don't want to break that law, then you need to step far back. So we're going to put all these other blockers in the way. And that's not what's in the law. Or they would manipulate the law and the truth of God's Word in such a way so they could justify and have an excuse to live however they wanted to because technically, technically, I didn't violate or break God's law. And we might hear that and go, yeah, you know, I've heard about the Pharisees and the religious leaders of this day and time, and and I kind of get that. And, you know, shame on them. We point the finger at them. And then you have three fingers pointing back at you because we do the same thing today. We, if we're not careful, live in technicalities, even as Christians within the life of the church. I wonder if that might include you today. It's included me over the course of my life. Because I had a few examples. Technically, technically, I didn't lie, or it was okay to lie, because my precious little lie spared that person's feelings. So technically, you know, it's kind of worth it. Or technically, technically, I didn't cheat on my spouse. I just looked at that screen or that image. So technically, I'm okay. Technically, I didn't go all the way sexually because uh, we only went to this line. So technically, I never engaged in premarital sex. Or technically, I didn't gossip uh, because I passed on that much-needed information that needed to be provided to, to the masses in order for them to be informed. And so, you know, I was actually doing a, doing a good thing. And so my question is, today, not last week or a year ago, but today in your walk with the Lord, are you living at the heart of a relationship with Him are you living on technicalities in which you can justify just about anything that you can do, say, or think? Because Jesus is going to come along, and He's going to blow up this whole thing. Or maybe more appropriately, He's going to set back into place what had been broken. In beginning next week, we'll specifically begin to see Jesus reinterpret their interpretations of the law. We'll see Him correct their incorrections over this time period to undo what they've already undone. 
And throughout it all, Jesus will not change or modify the law. He, 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 he won't do that. He's just getting back to the heart of the matter, to the heart of the law, to the point by the end of chapter 5, Jesus is going to show that everything he expects of you and me can only, and this is the key word, can only be fulfilled in him because Christ is Christianity and Jesus is the way. Not only is he the way, but number two, Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word. Some of you may recognize a a scripture from the gospel of John, chapter one. John begins his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the word, lagos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What a remarkable statement to to just out of the gate to say in your gospel writing. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We find out later that he says in John chapter 1, verse 14, that the Word became flesh, that he's referring to Jesus. Jesus is, is the embodiment of the Word of God, and Jesus is, in fact, as you study throughout Scripture, he is the lawmaker. He knows exactly what the word is. If anybody's going to interpret correctly or get it back to the heart of the matter, it's going to be the one who is responsible for the law and for the prophets, the one who is, who is making the word be what it is. And so if Christ is indeed Christianity, what we want to make sure is that we're keeping Christ in Christianity. We're wanting to keep the things that Jesus elevates and Jesus supports and Jesus finds value with, that we would value those as well. Look at verse 18 in Matthew 5. Jesus says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. The smallest letter or stroke. When he means the smallest letter, in the Hebrew language, there's a letter called iota. It's the tiniest little letter you've ever seen in any alphabet. I mean, it's just so little. You almost miss it if you don't see it. But it, it, it makes quite an impact if that one tiny little iota of a letter is not within that, that word as you're reading through that passage of Scripture. He also says that not even the smallest stroke is going to pass away. And think about how important even just a, a stroke of your pen makes a difference in what your word is actually going to be. If you look at a lowercase i, if you don't dot that i, looks a little different. Lowercase t, if you don't cross that t, looks a little different. If anything, you're like, is it a lowercase l? Is that what we're looking at here? It makes a big difference. And Jesus is saying, I'm getting down to, to the nitty-gritty. I'm getting down to the base of it all, that even the smallest of the word that you might think that I'm trying to change or do away with, no. Every bit of the Old Testament law and these prophets are good. They're from God. And I'm trying to reveal to you just how precious they are, how important they are, how life-giving they are. And sometimes if we're not careful, we'll go, what do I want to read today from God's Word? Well, let's look at the right half of Scripture. I don't really want to read the first half of Scripture because it seems hard or it seems harsh. But if you begin to really study the Old Testament Scriptures, you see grace, you see mercy, you see justice, you you see so much of God's heart throughout all of the Old Testament Scripture that is good for us to study. And it's what is preparing the people for the Messiah that that is to come. And so he's saying none of this is going to pass away. I'm not starting a new faith. I'm not starting a a new religion of any sort. It's just about to be fulfilled. I'm the culmination. I'm the fulfillment of everything that we're looking for. It's not going to pass away. 
And we could take the time, uh, but we don't have the time this morning, to talk about the incredible preservation of the Word of God throughout the centuries, that we've been able to have reliable that we can we reliably hold this and read this copy of Scripture and know that this is the truth based on incredible research of manuscripts and things. Uh, the Dead Sea Scroll exhibit I got to go to when it came to Fort Worth, Texas at Southwestern Seminary to just see these old scrolls and how, how, how they are just, just verbatim what, what we read in the book of Isaiah, the, that scroll of Isaiah that we were able to see from from so long ago, the preservation of God's Word is, is remarkable. And if it's been that remarkably preserved, and Jesus is saying it's so precious, none of it's going to pass away. Are you reading it? Are you taking the time to study and submit to this, to what God has to say? I was sharing with someone just the other day that people were like, why, why in some of those old cathedrals that you see in Europe, did they have this long winding staircase where the preacher would go way, 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 way high? The preacher was really full of himself. He must have really been like, look at me, I'm way up here, you're way down there. In the Reformation, one of the things that the church got back to was the priority of the Word of God, sola scriptura, scripture alone. And what they wanted to do was even in their platform of where the pastor would come and and speak so that you could be heard. He, he would make his way up that, and, and they, they would build this because they wanted you to have a visual reminder that not the pastor or the teacher is up there. The Word of God is elevated. It is something that we need to be under and submit to because it is life, and it's pointing us to truth, and we want to know exactly what it has to say and how to live it out, e- even when it's hard. I, I want all of us to always continue to be a student of the Word of God. I've told you before, I think you're going to get bonus points if you take notes whenever we're in a sermon situation or if you're in a small group situation. I think God's going to be like, good for you. I'm just kidding. That has nothing to do with your salvation. But there's something about constantly being a student of the Word of God, of not saying, I got it, of saying, no, 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 what else do you have to say? How else can I take this in? And some of us, most of us, are not auditory learners. Majority of us aren't. Majority of us are visual learners, or I can't think of the other one, but basically you're interactive, like taking a note or something. You're engaging with a variety of different senses uh, and within yourself as just a human being so that you take it in so the Word of God does take root. Because if you're like me, by probably tomorrow, maybe Wednesday, if someone asked you, what did Stephen preach on Sunday? um, That's a good question. Sometimes I wonder, what did I preach on Sunday? But we want the Word of God to seep within us to where even if we can't identify He preached on this, there's a truth that when you walk out of this room today, you're like, I may not be able to articulate it, but it's seeping within my heart. It's taking root within who I am, that I want to hold precious the Word of God. Incredible, incredible example of this that I'll never forget, and it stuck with me. Uh, when I was at Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth getting my, uh, getting, getting my degree, uh, I loved whenever they would have preaching conferences on campus. They'd have one in the fall, one in the spring. And while I was still a student there, I would try to attend those with my job or um, with classes to try to just jump in and, and, and listen. And I can remember attending 
one of these first conferences that they did, and we were kind of in a smaller room, and I can remember coming in uh, a little disheveled, and, and, I, and I sit down kind of in the back, and I'm getting my notes out, and some guy, again, I don't remember what he talked about, some guy up there saying something really good, really precious, and as he's doing so, I look over, and I see this man, a much, 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 much older man, and I just see him head down, looking up, taking notes, head down, looking up. I mean, he, he is just following this guy. And I just go, good for him. I love seeing that. I love that you haven't gotten to an age that you're like, ah, you know, what does this young guy have to say? We'll see what he has to say. And if I want to take it in. And he's just taking it in. And, and I, I had to go back to class and I came back. And, and as I came back, I walked back in and I sat down and I was like, oh, man, where, 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 did, the, where did the older gentleman go? Uh, I wanted to actually kind of visit with him for a little bit. And then I look up, older gentleman, he's the next speaker. In fact, he's the keynote speaker of that conference. And I was like, oh, I've actually heard your name. You literally wrote the book on preaching, and it's what we're using in our class. <laughs> and yet you are willing to come in and listen to someone else that I don't remember that guy's name, and you're wanting to, to just take in what you possibly could because you want to study the Word and know the Word and have the humility to say, maybe there's something that you have to share that's not going to be new because the Word of God doesn't change, but it's going to be insightful. It's going to ring a bell with me. It's just going to kind of be like, oh, that's right. That is what it means, and that is what it says. That's what God is intending it for it to be. I want us to always be people of the Word because Jesus is indeed that Word. Look at verse 19. I've got to hurry up. Verse 19, he says, Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And another thing that you could write, I don't know what your translation says, but whenever in verse 19 it says, whoever annuls, you could use the word divorce whoever divorces or relaxes the weight of the law, the heart of the law, whoever is wandering and drifting from the Word of God. What Jesus is saying is the Word of God is true and it's steadfast. Not only do we want to hear what it says, study what it says, submit to it, but be careful to not take away the weight and the gravity of what the law says and what is expected from God's Word. Sometimes we're really good at regurgitating of, this is what the Bible says, but we don't follow through with what's expected. We can hear Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples. I know that one. What's expected? Go make disciples. And we, we pull that away and we take away the weight or the gravity of it for us as individuals because I don't have the personality to make a disciple. God, the Holy Spirit, dwells within you. You're called to make disciples. That's the expectation of the weight of that verse. But if we pull away the weight and the expectation, we annul these commandments, we, we, we water them down, then not only does that become a danger to us in our walk with the Lord, in our example, we actually become a danger to those who are around us. Because we're pointing and, and leading them in a way that they're like, oh, well, that's not a big deal because my mom and dad don't think that's a big deal. Well, maybe that, that's not as important as I thought it was because, you know, the, 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 the person who's influenced me, that's not as a big deal to them. And, and kind of give you an example of this. Some of you as parents, 
You, you, you can recall as your children are in bed and you're like, don't get out of that bed. I mean it. You stay in that bed. I'm, I'm, I'm just sick of it. You stay in the bed. You're going to sleep. And then about five minutes later, you hear the little pitter-patter and you're just like, give, give me grace, Lord. Give me grace. And I can remember my, my niece and nephews, we were uh, hanging out in my in-law's house for Christmas uh, one year. And... Uh, my, my nephew and my niece, they were hanging out together. They were just constantly chatter, 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 get up, chatter, chatter, chatter. We would go in, parents would go in, grandparents would go in. And I remember at one point I was like, when's the follow through going to come through? Like, we got we to gotta, we gotta, we gotta have a consequence with this. And eventually that follow through came through and they knew the next night, this is what is expected. You go to sleep or I'll put you to sleep. And so what we found was the, the weight of the word was now expected because we saw the, the consequence or the outcome of that word. Sometimes when we break the word of God, when we do err and we do sin, obviously it's uncomfortable, like a broken bone is uncomfortable. But when the word of God comes into our life and reveals your bone is broken, you have gone wayward from the things of God or the purposes of God or the expectations of God, yeah, he may set that back into place, but it will bring about healing. It will bring about life. You're able to walk again in your relationship with Him in a healthy, healthy manner. So we, we want to be very careful with that. We want to be incredibly careful with not annulling or drifting or relaxing the weight of the Word. Third thing is Jesus provides a warning. He's the Word, He's the way, but He's also going to provide a warning he provides a little bit of that warning in verse 19, but really I, I see it kind of culminate here in verse 20. Uh, again, at this point, when they hear this verse in verse 20, I can just imagine them sitting on the mountainside, listening to what Jesus is having to say, and the greatest desire that a Jewish person on that mountainside would have is that I am a part of the kingdom. I am a Jewish man or woman. The Word of God, the Old Testament law, very important to me, and I want to be a part of the kingdom of God. Many believe they were assured of that because of their heritage that they were in. They might have said, I may not be as high up on the scale within the kingdom, but that's okay. I'm in. I may not be like a scribe or a Pharisee or a religious leader. Those guys are just incredible. They're definitely in, but, but I think I'm in too, at least I hope so. And we got to be careful with that even today. Sometimes in the life of the church today, we have people who might darken the doors or been a part of church for a long time or grew up in church. And we're like, I, I know enough to get by. It's that whole mentality of C's get degrees. I get that. You want to just get the diploma so you can move on and do your job. But let me ask you this, because I think about this. When sometimes I, I, I had to have a new kidney doctor when I first moved here, and I still need to find a different one, because I was sitting there, and part of me was like, if you can't explain my kidney disease, why am I sitting here paying you to tell me about my kidney disease? And my, I got home, I was like, I think he probably got C's in medical school. Who, who wants a C degree doctor? Who wants a C degree surgeon? Of like, yes, C's get degrees. He's got the diploma up on his wall. It's like, no, you want the guy who, who, who worked hard, and maybe he didn't get straight A's because he was actually having a life, living a family, but he wanted to know. 
I remember when I was in seminary, I wanted to do the best that I could, not because I just wanted to know all this stuff. I had this sense of like, if, if I'm going to be teaching the Word of God and pastoring, I, I don't want to just get by through Old Testament survey or, or hermeneutics or systematic theology. I, I'm not going to master it per se, but I want to know it so that way I'm able to to, 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 to share or to help or to encourage or to exhort so that way people aren't like, man, did he get C's or D's all through seminary because I just, I just don't understand a word that he's saying. I, I don't want us as individuals beyond the whole education system, I don't want us as individuals as followers of Christ to be like, I kind of know the word. I know enough to get by. I think I'm in. I think I'm a part of the kingdom. I'm pretty sure I'm saved. Well, can you explain to me how you know that you are? No. What, what had to take place in order for you to know that you are part of the kingdom, that your sins are forgiven? I don't know. I've had that conversation more times than I would like to say. Like, tell me. Not that I'm the arbiter or the, or the, the authority of, yeah, you're in, you're not, but if you can't explain to me that by the grace of God you've been saved through faith in Jesus, that, that He died as a propitiation for your sin, that, that He's the one who, who laid down His life and, and so that you could have life, if, if in some form or fashion you're unable to, to, to share that with me in, a, in hopefully a, a, a calm and, and nice conversation, then, then when you lay your head on your pillow at night, if you're not able to know that because you're studying the Word, the only reason why I know that I know that I'm in Christ isn't because of what I know. It's because of who I know. It's because I read the Word and I go, it's not based on what I've done. It's based on what He did. It's by His grace and His sacrifice and His life and His death and His resurrection. That's how I know. And for some of you as individuals and some of you as parents and grandparents, your kids, your grandkids, your friends, and you could share with them what you know because of who you know. It'll change their life. So Jesus warns, verse 20, you guys think you're in the kingdom. Listen to what he says. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's the end of his introduction. <laughs> that's kind of his thesis. What righteousness do you have? It's kind of a really sad <laughs> main idea that Jesus has, and I love it. It's so unconventional. It's not three ways to love your mom better. It's if you don't even have righteousness that surpasses the scribes and Pharisees, you're not a part of the kingdom. He's hooked them in, and they're like, okay, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? How am I supposed to respond to this, Jesus? This is a disturbing statement, a disturbing verse. Maybe even some of you, when you were reading this today and we read it earlier, it's like, can we skip that verse? It's not very cheery. That's not how I want to end our time today, that I may not be a part of the kingdom of heaven. And it's maybe even at this point that the crowd begins to murmur. Can you just picture for just a moment as if you were on the mountainside listening to Jesus sitting there on that mountainside and just you hear this statement and then there's like this rippling murmuring, murmuring effect of people going, what did he say? Am I not in? Does that mean you're in? Uh, who, who could compare to the Pharisees and the, and, and, and the religious leaders if, if, if their righteousness isn't enough to get into the kingdom uh, of heaven? I got to be more righteous than those guys? How's that possible? The best example I heard of this was from a pastor. He says, imagine if it was as if Jesus says at this moment, you got to be fast. 
to enter the kingdom of heaven? What's the natural question that you would ask if Jesus asked that question? You got to be fast. What would you ask? How fast? How fast? What if I told you Usain Bolt, too slow? We'd be like, that's the fastest guy we have, and he's too slow? <laughs> well, then there's no hope for me, because if, he, if he's not fast enough, and he's the fastest one we got, we're, 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 we're doomed. And it's at this point that, the, it's at this point that they're, at the end of this introduction, they're maybe confused and intrigued, and scribes and Pharisees are the most religious people I've seen. They're not righteous enough, and Jesus is basically saying, yeah, exactly, now listen to what I have to say because I want you to be a part of the kingdom. I want you to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And it's only going to be fulfilled in me. I'm your righteousness. It's not based on you, it's based on me. You are too slow. <laughs> your Saint Bolt is too slow. The religious leaders are not righteous enough, even though they have tried to follow the letter of the law as best they could and reinterpret stuff and even add stuff. It's not enough to enter into the kingdom of heaven. What is enough is going to be Jesus' sacrifice and death upon the cross and His resurrection from the grave that He could come to us and to our life and to our circumstances and to our situation, no matter how far off you feel in your presence with the Lord, He can bring you right in because He has the power and the ability to impute His righteousness upon you if you would humble yourself, submit yourself to Him and say, Jesus, save me. Honestly, it loops back to the Beatitudes. I'm poor in spirit, and so I mourn that sin. And I come in gentleness, and I hunger and thirst in righteousness. And so I find myself the inability to be who I am meant to be. And so I need you to do what I can't. Every single one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. You've heard that verse. You might say, yeah, I know that. But Jesus comes along and goes, no, no, no. You have fallen short of the glory of God. And he says, I know that. That's why I came. That's why I'm here. You can't get to God without me. I didn't come to abolish this law. I came to fulfill this law down to the smallest letter, down to the smallest stroke of a pen. I obey it, live it out for you. Jesus says, I fulfill the hope of the Old Testament. The hope that one day a king is going to come and bring peace with God. I'm that king. I come to fulfill the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. You guys have been bringing the blood of bulls and goats to show that you would say, yeah, I know that I'm guilty. Someone else needs to pay for my guilt. But the blood of bulls and goats cannot and has never been able to take away your sin. They're just symbols. But John the Baptist, he looks and he sees Jesus walking his way and he cries out, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's the one that can make you righteous because he takes away your sin. He lived the perfect life we could not. It's the wages of sin which leads to death, but Jesus didn't sin. So he didn't need to die, but he did die willingly. He took on your death. He took on my death. And so that when we come with empty hands as we should, and we come humbly before the cross, the beauty of the cross is this. You may have heard this statement. At the cross, it's equal ground. 
At the cross, it doesn't matter how accomplished you are in this world. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter your economics. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter who you've been and what you've done, how great you were or how bad you were. We're all equal at the foot of the cross because we're all sinners at the foot of the cross that come to Jesus and say, will you save me? Will you forgive me? Is this what you are accomplishing available for, for, for me? Jesus, would you rescue me? Jesus, could I have your righteousness? And he says with a resounding, yes. Yes. So do you know that Jesus? When you walk to this door, did you know that Jesus? And if you didn't, and today you're like, I want, I, I want that Jesus. Well, that's the Jesus of Scripture. That's the Jesus that needs to be proclaimed. He died for your sins that you might have the righteousness of God. In the next several weeks, we're going to see that when Jesus comes into your life, He changes you. He transforms you. And we're going to see that the way that we handle anger and love and anxiety, our integrity. But, but, before we see how He changes us, kind of, if you will, a little bit of like our behavior and our conduct, before we really address the behavior and the conduct today, we need to deal with our hearts. Because until our hearts are moved and affected and transformed on the inside, we could have all kinds of behavior modifications that don't mean a thing. It's just putting a Band-Aid on a wound. We need Him to get to the heart of who we are so the change starts here in, internally. And it doesn't start by doing a thing. And I know that's hard for a lot of us. It's like, what do I need to do? Tell me what I need to do. You don't do a thing. It starts by receiving just what Jesus has already done. That even in just a moment, even if you are a follower of Jesus, that in our time of response, that you may be standing or sitting or kneeling or just submitting to the Lord. And you're just simply saying, Jesus, I marvel at what you have done. Thank you. Or maybe this morning you say, Jesus, I've never really taken to heart what you have done and accomplished that I can't do. And I've been living by technicalities of going to church and reading my Bible, but I've not been changed by you from the inside out. I think one of the most awesome things would be to see someone within the life of any church who had been going to that church as a faithful member serving for years, but they had the willingness to humble themselves if indeed they were not a follower of Christ and bow in repentance before Him. I believe the church would rejoice because we want to see that one not just be a good guy or a good lady, but to be a part of the kingdom, to have the righteousness of Jesus in their life. I finish with this. In Romans, it says the righteousness of God, which is what he's focused on here at the end in verse 20 of chapter 5. The righteousness of God is by faith in Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that believe him. So is Jesus at the center of your life? Or is he an accessory? Is he an add-on? 
is his word that he came to fulfill and said it's so precious, it's down to the tiniest letter and the stroke of a pen. Is his word an add-on, an accessory? Or is it your hope in your life that you come to on a daily basis so that you could hear from God? If you would, would you bow your head and close your eyes? I love these four verses. And there's so, so much more that we could look at in these four verses. That's the beauty of this, of the word. But as we, as we respond to what he said, you may feel like, you gave me a lot of information, Pastor. What, what, what do I do? As I was driving today, I was like, Lord, what do we do with this passage? And the best answer I could come to is submit. Submit. We don't really like that word because it sounds like subservient or lesser than. But to me, it was the best word I could think of. Submit to my authority. Submit to my word. Submit to me that you may have life eternal and also life abundant on this earth. And I don't know what that looks like for you today because I'm not you. I don't know if there's parts of God's Word that you know what it says, but you don't really care or you're living in technicalities so you can justify your actions or your thoughts. So I don't know that about you, but you do. And maybe the most precious thing that you could do in just a moment when Lauren sings, that as she sings just a closer walk with thee, to me, when we sing that, that's saying, Jesus, I want you not to be an accessory, but to be the center of my life. You call the shots. You're the master. I'm the servant. More extreme, you're the master. I'm the doulos. I'm the slave. And in a unique way, (laughs) though you choose to submit to him, you will experience freedom, peace, hope, even when the world is crashing around you. And when we live like that, oh, friend, you will be salt and light, and you will change the culture and the family around you. So, Father, I pray that as we just spend a few moments as individuals just talking to you, trying to determine what it is that we need to do in response for this today, Lord, I pray that at the heart of everything, that we would just submit ourselves to you, And Father, I do pray that if there's someone watching online or someone in this room that just has a question, wants to have a conversation just to go a little bit further of what it means to be in the kingdom and how do I know? What it means to have the righteousness of Jesus, to have your sins forgiven. I pray that they would have the courage, the boldness, and the humility to ask their questions. To know that they can approach me 
any of our elders, the friend. Even during this time, Lord, as we sing, they're not going to disrupt. They can come and just talk to me. Lord, I would love that. So, Father, I pray that as we sing this song, as we pray, that our desire and our heart and our aim this week is to have you at the center of it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.